Earlier I read to you from Revelation chapter 7. I don't think the slides were up there, but I'd like you to notice a couple things before we continue on. It has to do with where we are on this Sunday after Thanksgiving in this world that we want so badly to sing joy to the world. The Lord has come, and He has come, but we're waiting for Him to come again. And between His first coming and His second coming, it's just not always a vacation. It's kind of tough. So you see clearly that there are four angelic messengers who are ready to go because God is a holy and angry and vengeful God ready to pour out His just wrath. But yet another angel comes from God, from the Son of Righteousness, from some place where the Son comes from, somewhere, and He has a message for those four angels. Whoa, ho, ho. not yet, because the God who is holy, 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 and a God of vengeance and wrath, is a God of long-suffering patience and mercy and kindness. And He loves to offer salvation to all, and He loves to do even more of that. He loves to come down, and the devil has his mark of the beast that he puts on people. Well, God has his mark of God that He puts on people. And He loves to seal them, as it were, stamp them, tattoo them, mark them with the Holy Spirit so that they can never be lost again. Then what do we see in the next thing? It starts off with 144,000, a number that he's heard, and in the text, it goes through the different tribes, some of them. Not all of them are listed, by the way. It's really a weird selection. But what started with, like, Israel with 144,000, before you even get many verses later, it's way more than 144,000. We can't even count that high, because God starts with the Jews and goes to the Gentiles. And what a church, what a kingdom, what a family, what an assembly that's going to be one day when we realize what a multi-ethnic, multicultural church our Jesus Christ has purchased with his blood. People are rejoicing of what God has done for them, rejoicing in Christ. And then all of a sudden, John, who's having this vision, has this person from the vision show up and ask him a question. Who are these people, and from whence have they come? At this point, John is humble. <laughs> How about you just tell me, because you know what's going on, and I'd like to just hear the truth from you. All right, then, the man says, I'll tell you exactly where these people come from. They're the people that have been washed. They're the people that have been clothed. They're the people belonging to God. And notice, they're not kept at a distance. They're not just invited into the kingdom. They're invited into the palace. They're invited into the Holy of Holies, the throne room of God, and there they are. They, they come as close to God as they possibly can as they are singing praise, waving their palm branches, giving him glory. But notice, these people, the great multitude, they are the people that came out of the great tribulation. So any thought that the church gets rescued from tribulation is just foreign to Old Testament scriptures, Jesus' own teaching, New Testament scriptures. It's just not going to happen. I know there's a bunch of my friends out there teaching that, but they're wrong. In this world, you will have great tribulation, the Bible says. And it gets worse, and it gets better, and ebbs and flows, and there are many antichrists, and the devil is always at us. The church has to endure this. That's why we're called to endurance. But these people won't be lost in it. Not a one of them will be lost because God has sealed them and brings them to the final day when everyone bows the knee before the throne and gets to enjoy the new heavens and the new earth. 
So that's who we are. Oh, my goodness. We deserve nothing. We're getting everything. And between those first and second comings of Jesus is this time called the kingdom age, where the kingdom is growing. It's also called the tribulation because the church that is growing is going to endure much tribulation. And what are we waiting for? Don't let anybody slander us. We are waiting for the real return of Jesus Christ when the church at that point is raptured and goes up with him together in the clouds until he creates our new bodies, the new heavens, and the new earth. That's our future. But now, how should we live as saints of God in trouble? That's where we're going on this Thanksgiving service. How in the world should we live? When I was a kid, we'd go on special field trips, bus rides. You guys remember those. They, a lot of times, put the guys on one side and the girls on the other, and you'd be doing everything. Though, don't put your hands out the windows, kids. Uh, be kind to each other. And then somewhere along there, you would start singing your songs like 99 Bottles of Beer on the Wall, and I don't know why we always sang that, but we did. Unless you went to a Christian school, then it became Coke or something like that. And sometimes somebody would say, who likes ice cream? Raise your hand. Who likes pizza? Raise your hand. And, and you would just kind of raise your hand. Who wants? Well, I ask you the question of the morning. Who here wants joy and peace and harmony? Raise your hand. Who wants this internal joy that re when circumstances don't go well still, you're okay enjoying your God even though you don't enjoy your circumstances? And peace, this idea of lacking anxiety. I just want to be done worrying about everything in here and everything in here and everything out there and everything over the seas over there. I'm, I'm done worrying. I, I just want to be at peace. And while I'm at joy and peace, I sure would like to enjoy my family. I'd like to be reasonable and have harmony and be gentle. Don't we want that? Well, I'm asking you the question today, do you really want that? I mean, because there's a lot of people who say, I want to be a great musician like Scott or Nathan, Tony, or Ethan. But they don't want to practice. Those who say, oh, I want to be a great basketball player. But they're not interested in going home and doing their, their drills and hitting their free throws. I want to be a great father. But you're distanced from your children and you're not around and you're not involved and you don't spend the time necessary. Do you really want joy, peace, and harmony? Really? Do you really? What if... Your God gave you instruction on how to pursue that, that had promises attached to it. Those who would really, really want this, who are so tired of lacking joy, lacking peace, and living uh, disjoined lives with their brothers and sisters, they would change their practices because God had promised, I have gifts and I have grace for you. Well, that's where we're going here. And so I ask you to turn to one of Paul's most famous passages, Philippians chapter 4, or just look on the screen behind me. Here is the word of God. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness or some other word, we'll talk about it, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You don't get to say that Paul lived in some fairy tale Christian land. He is acquainted with much grief and suffering. Even the church at Philippi has seen what happened to him. When he came in and he said, Christ has called me through the Macedonian vision to minister to you guys. I normally go to synagogues and start with the men, but for some reason the Lord wants me to do something different here. So he goes and finds worshiping women by the river. And that's where the church of Jesus Christ in Philippi started. He ministered to them, preached to them. Lydia opened her heart to receive what the Lord had said. She and her household came running to Jesus. From that point on, she was a motivated female entrepreneurial, entrepreneur who wanted to use her resources for Jesus. She opened her heart, she opened her wallet, she opened her home, and the Church of Jesus Christ started growing through women and men now who are added to the church. The next person we see is this demon-possessed girl, this slave girl who's being pimped out by her masters. She was an occultic prophet of sort, who would, who would divine things for people and get paid. She was their cash flow, their money tree. Paul exercised the demon, and I believe she came to know Jesus Christ. They weren't happy, I'm speaking of her masters. They didn't like that their financial future had taken a, a blip a bit. And so all of a sudden, in Philippi, Paul was mob-rushed. He was taken to the city center. He was beaten like a Roman citizen never should be beaten. He was arrested. He was placed in chains. He understands tribulation. Later, it was true that he was rescued by God. It was true that God saved the Philippian jailer and his household through his ministry. It's also true that he suffered more pain as these brothers and sisters in Philippi that some people think this may have been one of his favorite two churches, this in Ephesus. Because he calls them my joy and my crown. He loved these people. He bragged on them when he wrote his letter to the Philippians. And when he wrote other letters, like to the Corinthians, he pointed them to the Philippians. He loved this church, but because of the civil authorities and the injustice in the land, he was expelled from the city and was not able to worship with his brothers and sisters. He understands tribulation. Where is Paul now as he writes this? In prison? Again. It's like the cycle goes on and on where he goes and he preaches the gospel and he enjoys fruit before finally tribulation finds him and he suffers. And in prison he receives a love gift from the Philippians by the means of Epaphroditus. And there he is being ministered to, but his heart is now starting to break because his friends are really suffering. Tribulation has found them. <laughs> I mean, there's just life stuff that happens. The wheels were falling off their wagon. 
they had their own financial problems. Children may have been falling behind in school, relational squabbles. Uh, maybe some virus or disease was plaguing them. Just life stuff. And then they had their, play, their, their battle with the devil and the civil authorities that were always hostile to the people of Christ. And then the Philippians, they had internal problems too. I know it always looks like the church is always just a, a hugging place of fellowship on the outside, but you start getting involved and, and get a little bit under the, the skin a little bit, start realizing what goes on. And there's always interpersonal difficulties that come from what? The battle with the flesh, the old man, the default nature. And the Philippians have too many people who look like Yodia and Syncate, and not enough that look, have the mind of Christ. And they're really struggling in this way as well. So these people are struggling. Paul writes them a letter with four chapters, and this is one of his concluding paragraphs. What you see, first of all, is the honorable commands. There are three of them. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. You don't have to enjoy pain. The Bible doesn't tell you that. It's not wrong to be troubled all the time. I know Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. But Jesus, who was sinless, did say in John, now my heart is troubled. It's not always wrong to lament because Jesus wept. It's not always wrong to mourn because Jesus promises a blessing to those who mourn. It's not always wrong to grieve because Jesus is a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He knows how to hurt. He doesn't just paint on a happy face. That's not what we're talking about. It's Bobby McPherson who said, don't worry, be happy. That's not the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be happy all the time. But you are to have a persistent joy in the Lord. So while you are troubled, lamenting, mourning, grieving, sorrowing, and unhappy, while you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, while you are picking up and carrying your cross, while you may be like Stephen, a saint, catching stones with your teeth, maybe even like Paul, unjustly beaten and incarcerated, you are to rejoice in the Lord. Enjoy the Lord. There's a lot of reasons you could rejoice in the Lord. He's seen you at your worst. He's loved you at your worst. Nothing can separate you from his love. He's taken your worst upon his shoulders and given you his righteousness. He's adopted you, betrothed you to himself, and given you the down payment or seal of his Holy Spirit. He's placed you in a local family like this that will love you, and he never takes his eye off you. Your sin does not repulse him from you, repel him from you, I like it that the idea that your sin moves him closer to you like gangrene moves a surgeon closer to the patient. He sees the patient that he loves. He sees the gangrene. He hates the gangrene, but he must love that patient by dealing with the gangrene. That's what our sin does. It's not causing God to stiff arm us. It's causing God, because he loves us, not to leave us be and allow us to fall into depravity, but to move closer to us, for he loves us so much that he must rid us of that sin. He's never abandoning us to our sinful thoughts, actions, words, and deeds. He's preparing our future residence. And even on this earth, he gives us a lot of blessings that we can enjoy. He's coming to get us. 
So we ought always be doubting, not doubting, not disbelieving. We shouldn't be anxious, fearful, depressed, or hopeless. We should rejoice in the Lord. We should rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice in the Lord. Let's, let's say it twice and make sure you get it here. This is what you're to do. Always. Persistence. This is, this is what we're supposed to do. And you need to know this is in the Greek imperative mood. This is what you should do. This is what you ought to do. This is what you must do. This is direction. This is instruction. This is not option. There are no loopholes. There's no way out of this. This is commandment language. This is law language. This is what you must do. Just hold on. We'll get there. Just let the law be the law. Don't start making exceptions and pulling it down. All the time, always, twice you're told, this is your honorable command. Do it. Second honorable command, saints are to have persistent peace. I jump down here to the end for a second. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. You're not to have unjust fear and unjust worry. Now, it's not wrong for you to have care. I know there's some place where it says, cast your cares upon him. But the Bible also says you have to care for people. You should be concerned for people. It's not wrong to flee. The Bible says flee temptation. It's not wrong to fear. The Bible says fear God. But ungodly fear might be a, a faithless trembling over what is actually right here to befall you. That's, and an ungodly anxiety, because Paul even said, I'm anxious for the church and I'm anxious for you. But an ungodly anxiety would be a trepidation about something that may or may not even happen. Here the Lord says, do not be anxious. And he says, do not be anxious about anything. Why should you not be anxious? Well, the same reason that you should rejoice. You rejoice because you're in the Lord. You can enjoy the Lord and you can actually have peace because the Lord is at hand. Now that can neither mean he's coming soon or he's very close or both. But he is both. He's coming soon someday, whenever that is. And until that day, he is very close. He is near. There's no logical reason for us to be anxious. That's good logic. That's good wisdom. That's good counsel. But let me go a step further. That's in the Greek imperative. It's a command. It's repeated throughout Philippians and other places in the scripture. I write, this is a should. This is an ought. This is an obligation. This is direction. It is instruction. It's the standard of holiness and the measure of righteousness. This is the stuff of obedience. It's good worship. This is law. This is not suggestion. No loopholes, no exceptions. This is essential. So just hold on. Oh, I'm very aware I'm not being helpful. But this is the commandment of God. 
And it's not like a minor commandment because there is no such commandment. They're all major commandments. It may not have been one of the ten written, or maybe it's found in the first one that you should have no other gods and you should trust him. But well, let's not go there. Just so far, these are honorable commands. Always never anxious and always rejoicing. Third commandment. Saints are to have persistent reasonableness. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. William Hendrickson says there's not a single word in the English language that fully expresses the meaning of this word. Different interpretations of reasonableness are gentleness, forbearance, softness, moderation, meekness, big-heartedness, kindness, considerateness, charity, mildness, magnanimity, magnanimity, and generosity. This is a harmony word. And so what I have found in my life is that when I am most enjoying God and when I am most trusting Him because He is near and at hand and I am not anxious, I am the best of husbands, the best of fathers, the best of friends, the best of elders, because all of a sudden, my mind and my focus is not on me. It's not on my circumstances. It's on my God. And now I have all kinds of leftover collateral just to grace other people with what God is gracing me. And how are you to be? You ought to be reasonable. With whom? Well, there's that persistent idea again. Always. We've seen that when it comes to rejoicing. About anything... We're not supposed to be anxious with everyone. These are all superlatives. Like, wherever you go, whoever you're around, this is what you're supposed to be. And again, this is the Greek imperative. This is law. So, you want to stand before Almighty God and hear Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, based on your obedience. This is what you have to do amongst the many other commands that are found in the Bible, but these three you have to do all the time. That then leads me from the honorable command to honest contemplation. Whoa-oh. Um, it's been a, a month for me now, why do I tell you stories about me? I, I don't do it because I want to be you to focus on me. I hope. I don't do it because I'm proud of my failures at all. I think I do it just to help you understand that your pastor is a man with clay feet and He's just broken pottery like you are. And that you can not, maybe just give me, give, me a, give me some cred for at least confessing my sins to people. But this has been a month. <laughs> you can, my mom's here. She knows JoJo. She knows this guy who came running out of the womb probably. And if there's a ball, I'm chasing it. And uh, if there's a game... I'm winning it, and if not, let's play again, because I'm, I mean, she, one of her favorite things to me saying, was, son, you can't always do things one, two, three, quick. I mean, because we're going, let's go. 
And that's uh, probably why in some ways I'm a good leader because let's go, game on, let's play. And it's why I'm a horrible leader in other ways because sometimes there's not a whole lot of intentional thought. Man, I'm normally not risk averse. Let's take chances. Let's live on the wild side. It's better to ask forgiveness than permission. Let's go for it. I, I love it. That's why I love racquetball. When I go play three or four days a week with my new knees, it's man versus man in the Coliseum of cement as two grown men with glasses and a rubber ball are pounding it. And I'm walking out of there the victor or Ah, let's go again. I love it. That's my personality. It's been a month. I am not an anxious person. I have people that I love dearly who have struggled with it. They go talk to people about getting help. They, they take the best of God's medicine to help. I, I understand. It hasn't been me. But it's been a month. I met with a guy at lunch the other day, and I said, I think I'm starting to understand your struggles. When that weight comes over you and that fear, your, your, your breath is a little different as you're trying to figure out how to calm that chest. And you know what you know about God, and you know what you know about life, and you know that you ought not be worried, and yet you find yourself messed up. You don't even want to check your emails anymore. You don't want to read your texts. You don't want to visit with people. Frankly, you, you, you kind of just want to go on long drives in the country. Take a walk or find your place on a sofa under a cover while you binge watch something to take your mind off of thinking. Yeah, those three commands of always enjoying God, and always being at peace. Mm -mm. And I've told my elders, I've had to say I'm sorry to people at this church more in the last couple of months than I have in the first five years of being here. Because my lack of joy and my lack of peace messes with my reasonableness. I asked the question earlier, who here wants to say, oh, I want joy, I want peace, I want reason. Let me ask another question. Anyone here? Rejoicing all the time? Anybody? I hope you're not going to raise your hand. Anyone here not regularly anxious? Anyone here always reasonable? I think if we're going to give ourselves honest contemplation, we recognize that we don't enjoy the Lord when trouble comes our way, and sometimes we don't even enjoy the Lord when trouble doesn't come our way. We're regularly anxious. We have the Lord as our shepherd, but we still want and we still lack. We are anxious over much, and we are anxious about today and tomorrow. And we are not genuine, gentle, soft, mild, and meek, big-hearted, magnanimous, or generous. We cause problems. And these sins lead to other sins in our life where we go to become passivity or we become aggressive, we become paralyzed or we overwork. We try to follow the crowd or we think we're better than the crowd. We're tempted to lie. We're tempted to compromise. 
And if fear has its way within us and we lack our joy, we may even be like Peter and the disciples who deny our Christ. So there are honest commandments, honorable commandments. There, are, there is our honest contemplation. But I end the sermon by talking about our heavenly comforter and coach. The first thing we ought to do is we ought to find ourselves going to prayer. We go to prayer in the everything. See that? In everything. Before everyone. In the always. There's another one of those superlatives as we come together. In everything, we go to the Lord. And what do we start doing with the Lord? We start praying and supplicating and thanksgiving and making our requests made known to God. We start trying to enjoy Him because He has enjoyed us. We start reminding ourselves of our positional sanctification that we have had all of our sins paid for. We are blameless and righteous and holy, and we don't have to be fearless to be acceptable in His sight. We don't have to be joyful all the time to be accepted in His sight. We can either be grumpy old men and still be accepted in His sight because we're accepted in His sight because of what He has done for us and not by our keeping any of those really good honorable commands because we can't keep those honorable commands. But He did. He even went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. He was the one who did not allow his circumstances and the people around him to, to steal his joy and to cause him to be sinfully fearful. There was never a more humble, reasonable, gentle, merciful, compassionate man other than Jesus. And all of that is what Jesus says about Joe Franks and all of you who are in Christ. Not because we keep the law, but because he keeps the law for us and then he dies on the cross for all of our horrible, joyless, peaceless, anxiety-ridden, disharmonious sins. We rest in our positional sanctification. But then what do we do? How many of you want more than just to be declared joyful or peaceful or reasonable? I asked you that question before. How many of you really want to experience it? I do. I do. I don't know why I have the month that I've had in the inside. It's not you. It's me. How can I not enjoy getting paid to study God's Word, lead people in worship, help my friends, and tell the world about Christ. What's wrong with me? Me, the old man, the sin, the flesh, that's what's wrong. Why am I worried about two services next week? What's your thinking about two services next week? Where we're gonna worship someday when we finally all get back together in one? How to make people come to Sunday school at 10 o'clock? Will enough people bring gift cards? Why do I worry? Oh, I got to get my eyes on Jesus. I got to start praying to Jesus. I need to start not only just telling him what I need, but I need to start thanking him for who I am and, and what I've got. And man, we have a church that's growing. We have a church that's starting to bust out of its seams. We have a church that's not in debt. We have a church that likes each other. 
We have a church that on any given Sunday have four to 17 worshipers that are talented and skilled. There is so much if I'll just slow down and think and give thanks for and recognize my God that he can, that he, that he can help me. But here's the key. He is my comforter who comes to me and he tells me, I'm with you. I got this. You don't even have to get better for me to love you. But my son, these are still my laws. They're still important. It's still what you should do. It's what righteousness looks like. It's what Jesus Christ looks like. It's what the Christ in you one day when you are in glory will perfectly look like. And I am not only your comforter, I not only give you positional sanctification as you live in sin, but just like I attacked that gangrene as a surgeon and I can't stand it, I'm getting ready to attack this. We're going to attack it together. And you know how we're going to pursue joy, peace, and reasonableness? We're going to be men and women of prayer. All this was just a big introduction to that point, and I'm almost done now. If you really, really, really want joy, peace, and harmony, then you will become a person of prayer. Individually, you will do it in the mornings when you arise. Maybe you'll be like some who fall right out of bed onto your knees. Maybe you need a shower first. Maybe you'll take a seat in the shower. But somewhere, you're going to start your day with prayer. And throughout the day, as much as the Lord will help you, you're going to pray without ceasing. And then you're going to be found in a small group because there are going to be times when you can't pray for yourself, but it's going to be a great help for you to have brothers and sisters around you that will hold up your arms in prayer. Then you're going to keep coming to worship services, special prayer meetings, because you love it that the church gathers together to call upon the God who gives the prescription but makes promises. He's your comforter, but he's also your coach, and your coach has told you this. Pray. And what will happen? Can we go back to that text, please? What will happen if you pray? The peace of God that surpasses all understanding, that doesn't make sense, that's not a natural thing of this world. He will, that peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is what he promises to do. Your comforter your coach in response to prayer. And so I, on this Thanksgiving weekend, can give testimony to Jesus Christ that I am not a basket case after the last month. Some of you know the struggles. I've met with people by myself. I've met with small groups. I've talked with my elders. We have prayed. I have journaled. I've gone on long rides in the country. I have taken long walks, and I have laid down on my sofa in my office in the early morning when no one else was here and could see. But I got up quickly because I was probably worried about someone coming in and thinking I'm lazy. It's been a month of prayer for me. 
And my faithful God has been faithful. I got peace on the inside again. I still don't know what's going to go on next week. I have joy. I like Jesus. He likes me. It's his church. He likes this place better than I do. Whatever he wants to do, we'll see. And we're going to laugh one day together. And man, I don't have to fix you or boss you or be scared of you or anything because you're just like me. We're just a bunch of broken people on the road together. But this is what I do know. I want the mind of Christ. I want to be humble, considering others better than myself. And we're on this journey together. I think I'll be a better pastor, more reasonable, more harmonious, because I have more joy and more peace. And I think I'll like you better, too as we all run to the throne of grace and engage in prayer. Because prayer is what our comforter and our coach says to do if we really want joy, peace, and reasonableness.